0: Let's be real about something. Addiction has touched so many lives, and college in particular can be a challenging environment for students who have struggled with substance use. According to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, 46.3 million people struggled with a substance abuse disorder in 2021. That's 46 million students, friends, family members, all grappling with a serious disease. The good news is that more and more people are starting to take a different path. Some are sober curious, and some are cutting alcohol and other substances from their lives entirely. So if you're looking to make a change, you're not alone. I'm Jacob Carroza, and you're listening to Now at Ohio State. We talk with researchers, innovators, and bold thinkers who look at our world, see what the real challenges are, and create the solutions that people need now. In this episode, we take a look at what sobriety on campus means today, and some ways to think about this issue, wherever you are in life. Dr. Trent Hall specializes in addiction psychiatry. He's a clinical assistant professor of psychiatry and behavioral health, at the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. He sits down with our Franny Lazarus to discuss addiction among young people, some common misconceptions around the topic, and how to think about your own relationship to alcohol and other substances.
1: Dr. Hall, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Let's start with what I hope is an easy question. What led you to a career in addiction medicine?
2: So really what we know is that the addiction crisis in the United States has touched all of our families and all of our communities in deeply personal ways. And that's true for me as well. And I think that it's important to realize that there are many pathways into the addiction profession. It's actually a specialty that a person can get into from any medical background. Mm -hmm. So lots of entry points for people interested in this career.
1: Are younger people, specifically, since we're here at Ohio State, I'm talking about college students, are they more susceptible to addiction just by virtue of their age?
2: So we know that younger age of onset of alcohol or substance or tobacco use, this younger age of starting is associated with increased risk of developing as alcohol or substance use disorder. So the longer folks can delay trying things or not trying them at all, mm-hmm. the lower the risk is.
1: And are risk-taking behaviors more common in in young people? That seems like such an obvious question. But is that a stereotype or is there real data to back that up?
2: We do know that the brain continues to develop, right? And that does have an effect on decision making. And many people are making some of the most important decisions of their life at this time. And Mm -hmm. it's important to not be dismissive of that.
1: What do you mean by some of these important decisions? What are some of those?
2: Decisions about career, about family, Mm -hmm. about where in the world you belong. And sometimes in the healthcare profession, we uh, naturally focus on on problems and, and helping people with those, but it's important to remember that there's always more right with you than there is wrong. And and that uh, is true for our, our patients with addictive disorders and I think it's true for everyone.
1: I'd like to talk to you about relapse um, because I, I understand that It's common, but how common is relapse for someone who, let's say, is struggling with drug addiction, fentanyl, or something like that?
2: So we know that relapse is incredibly common, and it's often a part of the recovery journey. And it's really important for us to embrace incremental progress. And when someone tells me that they've experienced relapse, it's not uncommon for them to express despair about it. And really very important things can be learned during a relapse that can help you with your long-term recovery. For example, what were the triggers? What sorts of things did you notice in terms of your own thinking or or surroundings or life events that can inform a strategy for recovery going forward?
1: You talked about the despair that people can feel when they relapse. What do you say to them when they come to you and say, Dr. Hall, you know, I, I slipped up. What do I do now?
2: So really always wanna check in with them about how they're thinking and feeling about this experience of return to use. And everybody has knowledge about themselves, right? Everybody has mm-hmm. this unique expertise into themselves, their their health conditions, including addiction. And everybody has like uh, internal resources or strengths. Sometimes they're not used to thinking of those things as strengths that can help them towards a change that they'd like to see in their life. And many of our patients who have experienced relapse they may not think about the past six months that they've been in recovery as a strength. They Mm -hmm. tend to emphasize the slip-up part of it. So really Mm -hmm. trying to understand where they are in terms of how they're thinking and feeling about the experience of this slip-up. And then also trying to help them reframe the experience so that they feel empowered to continue on this journey towards a life that they want to live
1: what are some of the addiction treatment options that we have available here at Ohio State?
2: So we really have a wide range of addiction treatment services available at Ohio State. So we have addiction treatment in multiple different treatment locations within the health system. Mm. So for example, we have Talbot Hall, which is OSU's addiction treatment facility. And then we also have the Primary Care Addiction Medicine Clinic, or PCAM, which serves primary care based addiction treatment model. And then we also have the STEP clinic, which serves pregnant and perinatal people with addictive disorders. And we have an Olentangy behavioral health clinic that helps folks on an outpatient basis who may have addiction and then a co-occurring mental health disorder. And then we also have addiction treatment available in the hospital. So my role is I run the East Hospital Addiction Medicine Consult Service, and we visit patients at East Hospital who may be struggling with alcohol or substances or who have just, for example, maybe had an overdose. And then there's a sister service to mine at the main hospital campus as well.
1: Speaking of overdoses, Narcan is something that you hear a lot about in the news now. Can we start with a simple question, which is, what is Narcan?
2: Narcan, so intranasal naloxone is is the generic name of it, and mm-hmm. there is more than one brand. It's sort of like uh, Kleenex. We sometimes refer to intranasal Naloxone by its brand name, but i'll I'll try my best not to. Okay. But yeah, so this is a medication that can quickly reverse the effects of an opioid overdose, mm-hmm. and it's becoming just an increasingly urgent need that we have this available. We know that we really do not have time to spare. When mm-hmm. an overdose happens, we need to restart people's breathing very quickly. And that's what this intranasal naloxone allows us to do is to wake them up so that they can start breathing again.
1: So for people who aren't familiar with naloxone, it's a nasal spray, that's right?
2: Yep, that's exactly right. So very simple, easy to use. It's not something that you'll hurt somebody with if mm-hmm. they're f- unconscious for some other reason besides an opioid overdose. So safe and, and effective. Important to note that its effect is temporary. So it's possible for a person that you've rescued from overdose to actually fall back out and overdose again, even without using more opioids, because intranasal naloxone doesn't last as long as the opioid that was taken. Okay. So we always want to stay with folks and call 911 and make sure they get real medical attention if this has happened.
1: There are a growing number of places where people have access to naloxone on campus. There are Uh, what are called nalox boxes that are throughout campus, thanks to a partnership, I believe, with Adam H. The RPAC has a naloxone vending machine. Are you encouraged by the growing presence of the product on campus?
2: I'm deeply encouraged by the progress of getting our nalox boxes into our communities. And really, I do believe that this will make a, a measurable impact in terms of saving lives in the Columbus community.
1: Some of the things that I hear people say about naloxone is that, well, if you have it in your community, you're just encouraging drug use. What would you say to people who respond in that way?
2: So I'd just like to remind folks that you have to survive to recover. And so we we really need this in place. How many people have we lost that maybe were just one day away from recovery and we'll never know?
1: Common misconception that I have heard about addiction is that it's a lack of willpower that people just aren't strong enough to stop using something that's bad for them. What do you say in response to that?
2: So we know that this is a a chronic health condition, runs in families, between 40 and 70 percent inherited. We know that it involves our our life experiences and our environment and really involves our our brain, too. Circuits and Mm -hmm. neurotransmitters are involved in the addiction process, too. So it's this complex, what we call biopsychosocial medical condition. And historically, there have been a variety of stigmatizing attitudes or beliefs about this health condition. And addiction isn't alone in that, right? Like there's been stigma against many different health conditions. Sure. So we know that in the most recent year that we have data for, only 10% of people with opioid use disorder got any medication for it. And a major barrier to getting treatment for opioid use disorder or for any addiction is this stigma. And so it's important to me to advocate for our patients who are experiencing this health condition to help their community and their family understand what it is that they're going through because we we believe that that itself is care
1: we're coming up on the holidays people are going to indulge people may overindulge at what point do you think a person ought to examine their own behavior what's the line between i'm having fun at the holidays and I'm having too much fun at the holidays and this could be detrimental to my health or my relationships.
2: In your question, you sort of have the answer, right? Like, (laughs) is this becoming detrimental to my health or my relationships? And that's basically what all of our 11 criteria boil down to, is that addiction is when folks find themselves doing something that feels out of control to them, and they continue doing it even after they've noticed that it's harming them psychologically or physically or hurting their life roles or relationships. And just kind of remembering what is important to you and how does alcohol fit into the bigger picture of your life is a good question for anyone to ask.
1: What do you think about dry January? And for listeners who aren't familiar with that, dry January is uh, after the holidays when people have, as we've said, been indulging. They try to go for the next 31 days without any alcohol at all.
2: Just like the World Health Organization tells us, right, that there's really no safe level of drinking. And so if folks find it within themselves that there's a goal that they not drink for any given period of time, that's a positive health goal.
1: Would you say if somebody, they're going to do dry January with friends at work, but they find that they're really struggling with it, that it's harder than they thought, would that be an indicator that they should probably speak to a professional about their substance use?
2: Yeah, I think that if folks are thinking about how alcohol fits into the bigger picture of their lives and they find themselves questioning whether it's a good fit, whether it's compromising relationships or life goals or Mm -hmm. physical or mental health. It's a great idea to talk to someone about that.
1: What are other tips you have for people if they want to be proactive going into the holiday season about moderating their substance use?
2: Around the holidays, it can be a stressful time. Mm -hmm. It can also be a joyous time. And many people tell me that trying to find ways to enjoy themselves and the people around them without alcohol can sometimes make it even better. So sometimes people will, if they're very concerned about alcohol being at certain events, sometimes people will choose not to go to those events Mm -hmm. or they might bring a sober friend with them to an event so that they have a, a buddy to be at their side during this Many people will try and bring their own beverages or Mm -hmm. snacks or things like that. That way they can enjoy a beverage that is non-alcoholic around other people. I always encourage folks to drive themselves and to park somewhere where their car won't get blocked in. That way they can leave if they become distressed or if there are things happening that don't sound like holiday fun to them.
1: Well, Dr. Hall, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today.
2: It's been wonderful to be with you. Thank you.
1: Thanks.
0: Ohio State has a lot to offer for those who are in recovery, and for those who think they might have a problem and want to explore that. We turn now to Ahmed Hosni. He's the assistant director of the Student Life Student Wellness Center at Ohio State, and he oversees the center's alcohol and drug initiatives. He also holds a Master of Social Work degree from Ohio State, with an emphasis on addiction prevention and treatment. Here he speaks with Franny about the services available at the university, the power of community, and why more students are sober curious than ever before.
1: Ahmed, thank you so much for being with us today.
3: Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to uh, get a chance to chat and talk about so many cool things.
1: So for people who aren't familiar with collegiate recovery communities, Ahmed, what is the elevator pitch?
3: So the Collegiate Recovery Community here at Ohio State is a program that supports students who are interseeking recovery from a substance use disorder. And the way we do that is by meeting with students and helping them to develop their plan for the semester. We call them individualized recovery plans. Um, And after the student develops that plan, we check in with them and we provide coaching so that they are able to accomplish their goals and continue reaching their goals throughout the semester. But other than that, the magic really happens in the community. so Every Wednesday night at 5.30, we have a all-recovery meeting for students, and mm-hmm. so that is open to any Ohio State student and really any college student in the central Ohio area. I think most importantly what we do is really fun parties and social events to uh, make sure that they realize that they can have fun without needing to drink or use and that the opportunity to enjoy that together is probably my favorite thing that we do.
1: How long has Ohio State had a collegiate recovery community?
3: So this is actually our 10th year. Wow. We're yeah, it's cool. We're celebrating our ten years, our tenth year now for the Collegiate Recovery Program here at Ohio State. We're excited to have over a hundred plus graduates. Wow. Yeah, and so over a hundred students have. Um, we've celebrated them on graduation and got to uh, honor them not only for completing the really difficult task of graduating from college, mm-hmm. but also doing it while navigating their recovery and thriving in their recovery on campus.
1: And, and that's something that I've read about with CRCs in general is that your sobriety is part of who you are it's not who you are. And so it's important to have a sort of a holistic approach to working with students in recovery.
3: Yeah, and for all the reasons you just said, I I, I think being in recovery is a part of somebody's identity. I am a person in long-term recovery. Mm. Um, Monday is actually going to be my sobriety date. Really? Funny enough, yeah. Wow,
1: congratulations. Yeah,
3: thanks. And I know that it's a big part of my recovery, but I'm also a husband, a mm-hmm. father, a Middle Eastern man, and there are so many other aspects of my identity. And so when we meet with students, it's important. That they are able to define recovery in a way that is going to be authentic and true to themselves.
1: The next question I have for you is Is the collegiate recovery community only for students who are actively in recovery?
3: Students get to us in lots of different ways. Okay. And so we don't meet students when they are already identifying as being in recovery. We often meet students who are recognizing that they are struggling and that they need help. Mm-hmm. And so for us to say that it's only for people in recovery would create a obstacle okay. for people to enter it. And so we believe that the community that we've built can be a protective factor for students who are trying to make healthy changes, but aren't to the point yet where they're able to abstain okay. or to stop completely.
1: You talked about meetings. Does that mean AA meetings? NA meetings or is that a broader category?
3: On Wednesday nights here at Ohio State, we have an all recovery meeting. And so what that means is that any pathway to recovery, whether it's a mutual aid group like Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, or if they are doing something which is based in their spiritual beliefs, there are now recovery programs that are more focused on physical well-being and exercise and being a part of a community, real similar to like CrossFit and Mm -hmm. things like that. For us, it doesn't really matter. And so the meeting is for all Recovery Pathways, and we allow our students to chair the meeting.
1: One of the things that I've read about in the news recently is that sober events and sober groups are on the rise in university settings. Is that something that you've experienced here at Ohio State?
3: Yeah, absolutely. What we're starting to see is that each new class of students that comes in, there are more and more students who are choosing not to drink or not Mm. to use drugs. And it's not because they had a problematic history with it. It's because it doesn't meet their values or their goals. Maybe they tried it and they're just not into it. And so we're excited about that. I know from my time in college and, and many of us, especially those who were college students here at Ohio State know that on Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, when you're looking from the union across high street, it can feel like everybody, is dressed to the nines and is going to the club and is out to have a good time. And if you're not, that you're going to miss out on something. But we know the reality is that when you see even thousands of students across High Street, there are still tens of thousands of students on the other side in their dorm, studying with friends, playing board games, having a good time. And so... Perception becomes your reality. And we try to help students recognize that what they're perceiving, the idea that everybody is drinking and using drugs, isn't actually what's really happening.
1: What are some of the benefits of taking your sobriety pathway, as you said, in a group like a collegiate recovery community versus doing it alone?
3: I think that when you have a community that you can do it with and people to walk alongside you, it just helps to get things off your chest and it helps to share what's going on with you because... Oftentimes, what we see is that when a student is struggling with something and they're transparent about it, we have other students who have experienced it as well. And while those students can't solve their problem for them, seeing and hearing from somebody who's been there before, has experienced what you're experiencing, and was able to successfully navigate that problem can tell you, I'm okay, and everything's gonna be okay. It really has a, a lot of power.
1: You've talked about trying to not create a bubble on campus so that students start to develop skills about handling their sobriety in the in the real world, if you will. Is that something that you've found that students struggle with when they graduate? And so you are trying to help them prepare for that?
3: Yeah, I think that anecdotally, as a student who was a part of a collegiate recovery program, I've seen lots of my classmates who thrived on campus and Mm -hmm. then graduated. And the collegiate recovery program was such a huge part of their personal identity and their sense of purpose and who they were. It really did define them in a lot of ways that the transition and being able to navigate leaving campus and going out and creating essentially a new identity as a young professional Um, in their field and in their career to leave that community and go to a new community and have to start over was too much for them. And they lost their recovery and some of them tragically aren't with us anymore, Mm. you know. And so for us, we know that students thriving on campus is great, but equipping them with the skills to go anywhere they need to go and to be able to create the community that they need and to have the skills to walk into a boardroom, to walk into a C-suite, to walk into a professional setting that they have never been in before and to be comfortable enough in their own skin and with their own identity to know that they belong there, that they work to get there, and that they can be successful as long as they keep working and putting their principles and their values ahead of anything, which includes their recovery values. Yeah. Like those are the types of professional skills that we try to impart on our students. And we think that it's successful. We've we've got a lot of alumni who are around the world and they're just crushing it, you know, oh, wow. and they're, they're doing a, a really great job and they get to come back and see us every now and then. And we're we're super proud of them.
1: One of the things we've talked about a lot at my office, uh, especially around the holidays, is dry January. And then there's also this trend of people who are sober curious. That is, they're choosing to dabble in sobriety for any reason. It doesn't necessarily need to be because they think they have a, a substance abuse problem. What do you think is leading to people wanting to experiment more with sobriety?
3: Yeah, I think that some of the reasons for that are because students recognize and are much more conscious today about the impact that the decision to drink or use has on their health and well-being. Okay. And I think that a lot of them are making that decision because they are wanting to just push pause mm. for a minute and give their body the time to recover from the impact that drinking can have on it. So,
1: Ahmed, if I'm a student and I'm listening to this episode and I'm have found myself thinking I want to make some changes in my life in terms of the substances I'm consuming, what is my next step?
3: So there's a few different ways they can get connected with our office. If they think that they're ready to just chat with one of our staff, they can use the link go.osu.edu backslash schedule AOD, and that will allow them to just put time on our calendars. Okay. And they can just schedule a 30-minute or hour-long meeting and come meet with myself or one of our staff people and just tell us what it is that they're experiencing, what changes they're hoping to make, and then we can point them in the right direction of what services on campus can help them get there. Or if they'd like, they can just walk into our CRC meeting. So again, on Wednesdays at 5.30 p.m., those meetings are in Baker Central, and so they can come in, and then they'll be able to meet some other students and staff are always present there, and we can get connected with them that way. Well, um,
1: Amin, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a great conversation.
3: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I had a lot of fun.
0: The holidays and winter in general can be a difficult time for people struggling with substances and for people in recovery. It's important to remember that addiction is a disease and that your past doesn't define your future. For those of you who want help, Remember that you're not alone in this battle. At Ohio State and elsewhere, you can find people in your corner. People who not only want you to survive, but thrive. If you're looking for treatment, you can start at findtreatment.gov or by calling 1-800-662-4357. It's free, confidential, and available 24-7. Now at Ohio State is produced by The Ohio State University's Office of Marketing and Communications. For more information, visit us at go.osu.edu slash now. I'm your host, Jacob Carosa. Thanks for listening.